Well, in my late uh, elementary school years, uh, fresh off of saving the world with G.I. Joe, there was this new Japanese phenomenon that was coming across uh, all the, the Saturday morning comics and the comic book strips and, and places all across America that every kid was grabbing a hold of and, and learning to love and starting to conquer not just the world but the extraterrestrial world as well. And this new phenomenon, this new type of toy and, and this new type of living life were known as transformers. They were these, these self-changing, right? You with me? That's the biggest, that's the biggest amen, right? After the rain is gone, transformers are number one. And I'm glad because we're going to talk about transforming today. But these transformers were like these self-changing, modular, extraterrestrial, robotic creatures, right? That, that's what they did. They would change and morph and transform in front of your eyes. Anybody remember it so we can talk back in church today? Anybody remember some of the names of the transformers? Optimus Prime, like he's number one, right? Always, because he is the defender. He's the one that, that takes on the Decepticons, right? Who is the leader of the Decepticons? Megatron, Megatron right. We, we are killing it this morning. All right. And then, then the, the most beloved Transformer of all, Bumblebee. That's right. That's right. Now, we got to go old school. You got to give me some original old school names of some of the Transformers. Anybody got those from way back, like 20 years back in the day? Anybody got any of those? Jazz. Yeah, that's right. If you don't do it with style, why even do it, right? I mean, like, he just, he just embodied jazz. He was cool. He was hip. Any other names? Any other Transformers? Oh, yeah, that's way back. I don't even have a clue. <laughs> All right, what about Ravage? Remember Ravage? Ravage was a dog. So he was the one that kind of went through and took care of everybody, bit him by the ankle and held him while Optimus Prime would beat him down. Um, Soundwave, that cool robotic sound that we all tried to emulate, you know, and then had the beatbox, the boombox on our shoulder. Um, so what these guys would do, these, these Transformers, is they would start out as one thing, right? That's what they would start out as. I know I picked the smallest one in the universe. Uh, Optimus would not be thrilled. So they would start out as this one thing, this one device, this tank. And then all of a sudden they would transform and they would change and they would become these flying creatures who would take on the world and who would save the world because the Decepticons, their enemies, were trying to rule the world and kill mankind, right? That, that's what they would do is they would change and they would morph and they would transform from one thing to another thing. Now stay with me for a minute. This isn't preacher cheese, but just stay with me for just a second, okay? This is exactly what we have said Paul does when he writes his letters, Paul, who's writing this letter to a group of people, just like you and I in Ephesus, did the very same thing. He started out in one area, and then he transitioned into a completely different area. He does this in a lot of his writings and a lot of his letters. So he starts out the first half of writing about theology, which is doctrine and understanding and belief about ourselves and the world and God. And then halfway through this letter specifically, in most of his writings, he transforms and transitions into what that right thinking and theology means for us, how it applies to our lives, and how we actually go use that and live it out. And so last week we saw Paul talking about us transitioning from just knowing about God and knowing who he is and that he saved us and rescued us and served us to us actually learning to serve one another. We crossed that line of theology to application, that he said, this is who God is, this is what he's done for you, and now because you have this new life, you should be doing this for other people in your life as well. And so today he's going to talk about that same transition, that same transformation. Now that you know that Jesus has given you this new life, it's time to talk about some specific behaviors and some specific actions 
today. So you're like, wow, I didn't bring my boots today. It's okay. I'll just tread lightly, all right? But this is what he's going to talk about, how we know about who God is and what he's done in giving us this new life to how we actually live that new life out and the change, the transformation is supposed to bring about in our daily lives. So let's start in chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. Paul says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, because they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. And he finishes this section in verse 19 with this. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. So Paul is basically telling them in just one short phrase, don't be like you used to be. Don't be who you used to be because he is writing this letter to Gentiles. And Gentiles are people who are not Jewish. Now, unfortunately, in Paul's three years in Ephesus, very few Jewish people came to faith in Jesus because they thought there would be a different Messiah, that Jesus was not the Son of God. And so Paul was able to reach a lot of the Greek community, which were Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So here's Paul saying, Gentiles who have trusted in Jesus, don't be like the Gentiles. He says, you shouldn't be like the way you used to be. I know this is the way you used to be. You used to live with this impurity and this anger and pride and sensuality and you would just run after anything that was in the world to bring yourself pleasure. And so he looks at a Gentile and says, Gentile, don't be a Gentile. It's kind of offensive. Like, this is all I've known. This is who I am. You're telling me not to be who I was brought up to be. And Paul says, that's exactly what I'm telling you. You're not to be who you used to be. You're to be different. You're to be changed because of what Jesus has done inside of you. So Paul's message is, don't be like you used to be. And for the Christian today, don't be the way you used to be. Don't act the way you used to act or live the way you used to live or behave the way you used to live. The reason is because Jesus has come in and started to transform your life. And he said there's two ways this happens. Because this is not a message on behavior modification. This is not change your outward appearance or your outward actions and then God will love you. This is the reverse of that. The two ways that our actions and our behaviors can change, Paul addresses in verses 17 through 19. The first one is the futility of mind, that we have in our minds this this futile thinking, this futile way of of thinking about the world and, and thinking about ourselves. And he's writing this letter, or writing a letter to another group of people in Rome. He says this to them in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but here's our word, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That you're not thinking in futility anymore, but you're being renewed that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and and inversely what is not the will of God for your life and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so Paul says you're, you're not supposed to think the way you used to think because the way you used to think was futile, which means useless, which means purposeless. You would just wander in and about the world trying to gain things for yourself and trying to find pleasure in whatever you put your hand and your minds to. And Paul says, now that Jesus has given you this new life, that the way you used to think doesn't lead to godliness. It doesn't lead to holiness. It doesn't lead to righteousness. It doesn't lead to pleasing God. And the way you used to think was just simply futile. And Paul said, you've got to start thinking differently literally about everything. And the only way your actions and behaviors can be changed based on what God has done inside of you is first is that your mind has to be renewed. You literally have to change your perspective on everything you ever thought, which is why Paul said, Gentile, don't be a Gentile anymore. Hey, Gentiles, don't think like the Gentile community. Hey, Greek speakers, don't don't live like the rest of the Greeks in your community, which he would say to us, hey, human being, don't live like a human being anymore because human beings are fallen and broken and sinful. 
But that's not you any longer. Because he spent the first three chapters explaining to us and telling us, you are not who you used to be. For those who are trusting in Christ, you are not in that body of flesh. You are not in transgression and sin anymore. And you're not bound to that life, but you've been given this new life. So Gentile, quit living like a Gentile. Christian, quit thinking like the old self and the old human being. You have to start approaching life completely different. Because the way we think determines the way we behave. Which is why we said in week one that right theology, this is why I believe Paul always starts with theology, that right theology should always lead to right practice. How we think determines our behavior. And you know this to be true. It happens almost subconsciously. You do things and people go, why did you do that? And if you stop and think about it for just a minute and dive deep into how you grew up and the things that you were taught and the environments you were put in, you act and live that way because of what you believe about yourself and about life. And the only way to truly change action and behavior is that God enters your life and then you start thinking differently according to his law, his purpose, and his will for your life and not your own. And to live in your own path is to be futile. Because all of us set forth a course for our lives, but it ends in destruction. We all set forth a plan for our lives, and it never turns out the way we hoped it would. Because many times we think outside of the perspective and thinking of God. And then Paul says the other thing that has to begin to change is because we have this misunderstanding of God and because we live, as he says, in this darkness. We, we don't have understanding of who God is because our minds are darkened and our minds are darkened because of the condition or the hardness of our heart. Which is the second thing that he says has to change is that hard heart in us that needs to be made new. And this is exactly what God said to the Jewish people specifically, but to all who would believe in him. That he would do something to change the hardness of the heart of man. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and so many other places in the Old Testament and New Testament, this is what God says to his people. He says, and I will give you, I will put in you a new heart and a new spirit I will place inside of you. And I will remove the heart of stone, this hardness of heart, that God would remove it. And in its place, he would give us this new heart. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit inside of you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful, look at this, to obey my rules. Behavior and action comes after our hearts have been changed you know the problem of a hard heart is it's not moldable the only thing you can do with a hard stone is break it in pieces you cannot shape it and change it to be something beautiful you can only tear it down a hard heart is uncoachable unchangeable and I've said I've said this before and I'm going to get in trouble I got in trouble last week I think um, I get in trouble a lot of weeks but I'm, I'm going to say this, and, and I'm going to say it probably till I die. I know we love to talk about this thing that God has done inside of us. And there are t-shirts, and it's on the wall, and we put it on our social media accounts. But I struggle with this one phrase. I struggle with this phrase, Jesus loves this hot mess. I struggle with that. Part of me completely gets it. Because Jesus absolutely loved this hot mess. It's exactly all that Paul wrote in chapters 1 through 3. Jesus loved you in spite of your slavery. Jesus loved you in spite of your sin. Jesus loved you when you walked and transgressed all over the will of God. He loved you enough that he would come and die in your place. So absolutely he loves this hot mess. 
but I struggle with a Christian who 20 years later is still saying God loves this hot mess. Because what it does is it misappropriates self-applied grace to mean I can stay the way I am. I don't have to change. Jesus loves me anyway. And he loves you. But he loves you enough to die so that your life could be changed. Our, our morals and our behavior and our actions should be changed and transformed into a different way of thinking and a different way of believing and a different way of living life because as Jesus gives us this new life, then the inward and outward things of our lives should begin to look differently. And if it's not, then Jesus has no power. Then we have no reason to believe and no reason to hope. But if he has the power we believe he has, he should literally change everything about us and everything in us. And our lives should continually be transforming and changing. And we can't 20 years later say Jesus loves this hot mess because it's true, but it's not completely true. Because what we're implying is that I don't have to look different than I did 20 years ago when I began to trust and believe in him. We cannot say that and believe it and hold on to it because it's simply a cop-out. And look what Paul says. This is, this is what he gets to. He says, your, your heart may still be hard if this is the way you think and believe. He says it in, starting in verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. This is not what you were taught. This is not what you were told to believe. Assuming... This is Paul kind of a little bit of a jab there. Assuming that you actually heard him and that you were taught him as the truth as in Jesus. And this is the truth that you have heard, that you are to put off your old self, which belongs to the former way, the old manner of life, which is the, the former manner, which is the way you live, the way you talk, the way you acted. Those things should disappear and go away the longer you're with Christ. And it's corrupt through the deceitful desires. And it is to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And in its place, you're to put on this new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And Paul says, to not change, to 10 years later, not look any different, he would say, I would question, is that you truly don't truly know who Christ is. Sorry, I said I'd tread lightly. I'm not treading lightly. I'm walking all over our self-applied grace. Because God's the one who gives it to us for the purpose of bringing about change in our lives. It's clear from reading scripture that in the life of a believer, we should be continually changing. Now listen, change doesn't come before belief. Change is just evidence of it. It's just an outward sign of our belief that our lives are changed, that we look different than we did 20 years ago. That as a 30, 40, 50, 60 year old, when we go to a high school reunion and we tell people about our lives, they go, well, that's not who I knew in high school. And you should, without being completely cheesy, by the grace of God, you're absolutely right. Because I couldn't do it by myself. And looking back, I know how much I needed a change. I just didn't know it in the moment. Which is why I needed Jesus to come and drag me out and rescue me and pull me out. And so Paul says, look, you got to change clothes. You have to take off the old self and put on a new self. But it's not just this, this small alteration that you're just going to pick a different outfit. I'm going to look better today, and I'm going to not lie as much as I did yesterday. I'm, I'm going to not be as angry as I was, and I'm just going to switch, you know, I'm going to coordinate a little bit differently. Paul says, no, it's this idea of swapping skin, that you're taking off your flesh, you're taking off your skin, and you're trading it out for a new one. You say, God, I, I, I need newness in my life, because I know I'm an angry, bitter person. 
I, I need you to swap this and change my skin, the way I look, the way I behave, the way I act. You need, to, you need to change this in my life. And I don't need you just to alter it a little bit. I don't need you to take the hem up a little bit. I don't need you to widen the pants a little bit. I need you to completely swap and give me a new outfit because I need to look different. I don't need to look like, oh, wow, you got a new shirt today. I need to walk out of the salon. I need to walk out of time with you. And people go, well, I didn't even notice you or recognize you because you're so different. And it wasn't because you just changed outfits or because you tried to lie a little bit less. It's because you were with God and spent time with God and he renewed your mind and your heart became softened to the point that he changed you so much so that you look literally different on the outside than you did the day before. And watch what Paul says when he's writing another letter. This is a consistent theme with Paul. He's writing to another group of people in Colossians. And I'm just going to give you a couple of pieces of that passage so we can't, don't have time to read it all. But in Colossians 3, he says this. Put to death, not just take off and put on clothes, but put to death. Take them off and burn them. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Gentile, don't be a Gentile anymore. Christian, don't be like a regular human being anymore because that old life is gone. It is dead. Put it to death. But now you must put them all away and in its place put on the new self, which is being renewed. There's that word again. It has to be continually renewed and changed as our minds are being changed as we spend time studying the word of God and our hearts are changed because we're in communion with him that we're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This is not just swapping something for a revamped version of ourselves. This is total transformation. This is completely different. This is opposite of what it was before. Now, what we think of is I'm just not going to lie as much today. I did my quiet time, I spent time with God, and I'm just going to hold it back. I'm just not going to do it as much. I'm just, I just committed today, I'm not going to be as angry with my kids when they spill the milk or they kick each other or they didn't bring their homework home. This isn't a better version of ourselves. This is completely different, changed, swapped, one for the other. Total transformation. Listen to me, completely opposite things. The opposite of anger is not less angry. The opposite of liar is I don't lie as much as I used to. They're, they're not opposite. They're just little bit better versions of the first. And if all we are better versions of who we used to be, then we're still dead in our transgressions and sin. There's no way for us to change our behavior and our morals and our actions because our hearts haven't been changed by God. But if our hearts have been changed by God and our minds are being renewed then we literally should be different people than we were in the beginning. Are you with me? So watch what he does, because these next few verses, we're going to read the rest of this chapter together. There is a temptation for all of us, probably because we have been taught this way, that you're going to see a list and a litany of things, of behaviors and morals, and you're going to go, I'm going to try to get better at that. I, I know I shouldn't do that. And that's the way we've taught these things. Look, Ephesians 4.29, all I have to think of is 4.29. Because when I was in middle school and high school, that was our phrase. Because we used to run each other down. Like we just dogged each other. And somebody told us one day, look, this is not the way you're supposed to treat each other. You're supposed to treat each other with kindness and kind words and respect and build each other up. So we understood it before the song, before the band, before all of that in high school. We, we knew when we heard 4.29, quit dogging one another and start building each other up with our words. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bad about that. 
But if all we do is say, okay, tomorrow I'm just going to get better at that, then guess what we have to do the next day? We have to almost start back over from the very beginning and try to get better at that again. I want you to watch as we read these verses, the literal juxtaposition between the two lines of behavior, that they're not just different versions. They're completely opposite characteristics, defining qualities of a person. Okay, with me? Here we go, verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, there's the first one, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He continues, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now watch what it does to the Holy Spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by God, uh, from whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away along with all malice. Be kind to one another, forgiving one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Did you notice those two things? That the liar didn't just not lie as much. That the liar went from one end of the spectrum that they're known as a liar to being known as a truth teller. There's no I'm getting better at lying. I have learned to tell the truth. Lying is not in my nature anymore. Because God has changed my perspective. God has softened my heart that I don't worry and struggle with lying because the thing that comes out of me is truth because I know my God and he knows me and he is truth and so he changes my thinking and my speaking. Look at the one who is angry. The one who is controlled by emotion and anger. He says it's okay to be upset about a situation. It's okay to not like that kids don't have homes. It's okay to not like that governments rule over their people so they don't have food. It's, not, it's okay to be upset that there's poverty in the world. It's okay to be upset that your boss is lying to everyone in the company. It's okay to be upset by those things. But look at the transformation that's taking place, that you're not known as that one who is angry and gripped by anger, but one who peacefully and calmly can resolve a situation even though you're upset by the circumstance. That's a completely different person. You don't want to be in the room with an angry person. But you don't mind sitting at the table with someone who can calmly talk about a, an issue and a discussion and resolutely and, and calmly come to a place of understanding. He continues down the path. The lazy, no good thief should not just not steal quite as much anymore. His transformation is probably just as telling as any of the others. All he has been and all he has known is someone who just doesn't work and wants to take everybody else's efforts from their work. And because he is changed, because he's not a Gentile anymore, because he's not a regular human being anymore, because he didn't live in the former self anymore, he actually gets up, puts on clothes, goes to work and does an honest works day of living and working so that, watch this, this is the heart change. Because he could go to work just to make his own money. But Paul says he goes to work so that he has something to give to others in need. Completely opposite. Taking to giving. That is so different than changing your behavior and your morals. That is a life that is completely thinking differently because God has changed and renewed their thinking and God has moved in their heart. 
I don't want us to be people who just preach self-help and get better at things. I want us to be people who are completely different. Completely different. And when we do, Paul says we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know why we don't grieve the Holy Spirit? It's because we have learned to put off those old things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And we have put on the things that Christ has given us. That we're completely and totally and utterly changed. And the only reason that's possible in the very last verse is because we have received forgiveness from God. That's the only way that happens. And so we cannot be content with Jesus loves this hot mess. It should be Jesus took this hot mess and made her an encourager. Jesus took this hot mess and made him peaceful. Jesus took this hot, lazy thief and made him someone who works hard and is proud to be a worker and his company is proud to call an employee so that he can give to his friends and to his neighbors. He is known as one who is generous. Like I would literally change and transform our lives because listen, the purpose of Jesus is not to overlook our sin. That is not his purpose. The purpose of Jesus is to crush and destroy and remove our sin. His place in our lives is not just to cover our sinfulness, but to make us holy and righteous, which are completely different. Those are totally opposite things. It should not be Jesus loves this hot mess. It should be, look at this. Look who I am. Look what Jesus has done to me. You knew me back in the day. You knew me in high school. You knew me five years ago. You knew me 10 days ago. You knew who I was. And look at me. I am no longer angry. I'm peaceful and humble. I'm, I was a thief and now I'm generous and I'm a giver. I'm one who used to be addicted to things and now I'm not controlled by anything but God and his work in my life and his work in my spirit. And I am not controlled by anything but him. Look at me. Look at me. You knew me and you know me now and you know I'm different. And the only reason I'm different is because what God has done in my life it's by his grace and his salvation and his forgiveness it's look at me look at this I used to be a hot mess and God made me something new and different that's what Paul is calling us to that's what Jesus is calling us to there is no other explanation in our lives for the change that takes place except for God's grace and his forgiveness but our lives should look and be different Jesus isn't our scapegoat He's not our cop-out and he's not our cheap grace. Jesus literally is our transformer. He takes one thing and makes it into something completely different than it was before. And I think all of us today should be on our faces and say, God, look, I've tried to change my behavior. I've tried to quit lying as much. I've tried to quit being angry. But today I want you to start to renew my thinking. And today I want you to start softening my heart. And I want to be something different. I don't want to worry about being angry. I want to be that person who's peaceful. I don't want to be known as the one who's a liar. I want to just focus on telling the truth because that's who you are in me. I I want us and our ministry and our church to lead and make disciples who used to be Gentiles, who used to be human beings stuck in our flesh, who used to be sinful, but now by the grace of God and the renewal of our mind and the shaping of our hearts, we're completely different. And when people see us, they go, I knew the old you, but this new you is different. You didn't just change outfits or coordinate differently. You didn't just style your hair a little bit different. It's just this whole feel and vibe and persona 
in you. And it's not ethereal, it's the spirit living inside of us. That I'm standing in front of a different person. That's when you and I know that we're living and walking in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm assuming, if you say you're a believer, I'm assuming this is what you know to be true about him. That he has to change and transform your life completely. That you can no longer just show up to church on Sunday. You can't just open your Bible and do a 10-minute devotion and go, I checked all the things off the box. But that we desire for God to take us from one thing and make us something completely different that we could not do on our own. That's when the Holy Spirit is not just grieved, but that's when the Holy Spirit is glorified because of his work in and through our lives. That's who we're supposed to be. You with me? Okay, I'm gonna pray for us. And then however you feel led, you may not, you may feel embarrassed or ashamed. Look, all of us, all of us need to pray and ask God for forgiveness and confess and repent some things today. If you wanna do that in your seat, you're perfectly welcome to. If you wanna go outside and do that, you're perfectly welcome to do that. If you wanna come down to the front or grab somebody on the front, we would love for you to do that as well. But I think today, a lot of us have been in that thought process of I just need to get better at this. When God says, I want you to be completely different as your mind and your heart are renewed and changed by me. Okay, let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that um, you would help us see the way we probably have lived a lot of our lives, even as Christians, that we just simply try to get better at things, that we know as a, as a Christian we're, we're supposed to be different, we're supposed to look different and act different than the rest of the world and the rest of our friends, and sometimes we just haven't figured out how to do that. And so we read books or we ask people or we visit websites and we try tips and tricks and principles, none of which are bad, but also none of which have the power to change us completely in transforming ways that you have intended in our lives. So this morning, God, you know in our hearts there's that one thing or those two things we just simply cannot move past we can't find maturity in. We just get up every day and we feel like we're on the rat race of anger or pride or sexuality or struggle in whatever way. And we just continue every day to run faster to try to get better. And it simply wears us out day after day after day. God, I pray this morning you'd allow us to open our hearts and our minds, which is what we say all the time. That you would renew our thinking you would change the way we view ourselves in the world. Give us a new perspective. As Paul said, we don't see people in a physical, earthly way anymore. We see spiritually. So God, give us those eyes that see things the way you do. And God, help us repent from when we have misappropriated self-applied grace in saying, Jesus loves me and I don't have to change which is completely untrue. And Paul's saying, I'm assuming you heard Christ rightly. So God, help us to learn to live in a way that speaks the name of Jesus and the power of Christ to bring about a completely different person than who you had encountered when you brought us saving grace. So Father, today, begin to shape and change our hearts and our minds to live completely different than our old self. We ask that in the power and the name of Jesus. Amen.